podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, I hate starting with downers. I, I'm not going to ask you right away about the Jalen Waddle in, injury. I'm not going to do yeah. that. And I, and I refuse to acknowledge the fact that we may or may not have jinxed neighbor Terry Wilson. Instead, may not have. We definitely did. Instead, though, instead, because we're not we're not here to start with downers. I, I thought I'd just ask a question. Is uh, Malik Willis in the Heisman conversation? Because people are talking. I love that you. I love that you have found a way. Because people are talking. <laughs> how Connor? How many over the past two years? How many people have we been a year too early on, and or jinxed their entire life? Seven I, like, touchdowns for Malik Willis. Liberty Flames oh. are undefeated, six and zero. Oh. I'm just saying, if we're gonna talk about BYU's quarterback being in the Heisman conversation, that kid is good though. I'm, so is Malik Willis. You put some respect on his name. Malik Willis, yes, sure. I, I just, uh, you know what? If we're going to pat ourselves on the back for stuff, we need to start with a, me going eight and two yesterday. Oh, boy. There we go. Yeah. That's not I a downer. Saying, like, I just, yeah, it's not a downer. Let's, what are all the positives from yesterday? I, I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still very down. For, yesterday was the least fun I've ever had beating Tennessee for the 14th straight time. It's very specific. Yeah, very specific. <laughs> We're going to get to all the games, all four of the games, and talk a little bit, um, some bigger picture things that I think we need to get to for at least some of these programs. It was a, a really lackluster week in the SEC, if we're being 100% honest. There was yeah. only one game decided by one score. Controversial ending. Yes, of course, we're going to get to what happened with Ole Miss and Auburn. Oh, a lot. Yeah, Marler's been... Dialing things up. We'll just we'll just say that. The, the rant so is in the works. I know. Yeah. So we're going to get to all of those things today. We're going to look ahead. We have some uh, some Sunday apologies that we're going to give out. Not a ton because when there's only four games in the SEC, yeah. um, there's not a whole lot to get wrong. Trust me. I mean, I still got plenty wrong. But at the same time, you know, it was a, a weird week in the SEC to take this sort of, nationally speaking, this backseat to the Big Ten, who the Big Ten actually... So, like, a really interesting week in the Big Ten? That's an unpopular thing to say on this podcast, though. Yeah, I don't like that you're smiling when you say it. I was fired up yesterday um, reading your tweets because I was like, there's a there's a game on right now, and then I've realized that you have to cover both games or both conferences. I, but, yeah, like, honestly, like, top to bottom, the Big Ten did have a better day than the SEC. I mean, like, like it was – there was way less parity from the SEC. It was Bama skull dragging everyone, separating themselves, even with their best offensive player out. And you look at the Ohio State – um, who looks fantastic, Justin Fields. Justin like, Fields I'm isn't assuming, fair. He's just not fair at this point. I mean, he's he's like, he's really good. But like, let's not get out of the let's not get out of our minds about how what he did yesterday. It's the same shit that everyone else has done for the most part. Like, did you see the throws he was making though? Oh yes, and I've also watched Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones and other quarterbacks this season who have looked who put up the same numbers and, or more impressive numbers. And but the fact that he was twenty one twenty two. And his only drop was a touchdown pass that should have been a touchdown and would have covered the spread in the first half. I was fired about fired up about that. And I just assumed, and I'm sorry, Georgia fans, you know, I'm, I know you're tired of hearing about it, but it deserves to be talked about because that it, sucks. it's a glaring, it it's a glaring issue. I feel issue bad. Yet again, I don't feel bad at all because I, I said this and I, got, I actually apologized to Kirby about it. And I kind of want to walk back the apology because it's like, how do you trust if you're a five-star quarterback? How do you trust him? Because because we just watched him go 21. I just assumed all Georgia fans yesterday went to a pumpkin patch and were as far away from a television. I hope as possible. so. I hope so. Yeah. For the sake of our, our Georgia buddies, we're texting with Perry and Chandler during yeah. that game, 
And I just feel terrible because Justin Fields, by the way, in case you haven't heard, he's on a plant-based diet. Uh, yeah, went plant-based this summer. Lost some weight. Kirk Herbstreit yeah. couldn't get over how good he looked. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point. I, I've watched a lot of Justin Fields over the yeah. last year or so, and he's he's dialed in right now in a way that that is it's scary yeah. it's it's fun but if you're a georgia fan just just don't bother don't bother watching because he's right. even better than he was last year and that's he wouldn't put up those numbers in georgia's offense to be fair also do you want to talk about indiana getting that win somehow thank you for everybody who reached out for, to, and, <laughs> and congratulated me my alma mater on beating a top 10 team for the first time since 1987 i wasn't even born yet the last time they okay. beat a top 10 team remember two years ago in 2018 when we kept calling it the year of marler is this the year of Connor? And, and here's here's why. I think this week was the week of Connor. Because Malik and, Willis? And Malik Willis is on fire. <laughs> Indiana gets that huge win. We were getting we were getting text messages, and I was cracking up. I was telling Allie, Candler is sending this text message. He's like, dude, shout out to Connor for being <laughs> right about Arkansas. About I don't even remember what the point was. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, Hold on. I remember distinctly saying on this podcast there are two teams in, this S- in the SEC that are better than people giving credit Bro, for. Bro, I predicted Arkansas to win one game this year. I yeah. Don't any credit <laughs> I, I said like three, and it, it's like you're getting pat on the back. And then Indiana wins. And the Indiana win, man, was like, oh, man. And you know what? Though? And I will say this. It, I hate She's not listening right now, and she's out walking the dog, so I'll say it. No one better effing say anything to Allie about this. I, it was nice to see the Dodgers lose because I'm so tired of being the only person in my household that has had their life ruined by somebody named Hunter Renfro. And that Dodgers game, that Dodgers game was better than any football game I watched yesterday because I didn't watch Penn State, Indiana. The end, the end of Penn State, Indiana was pretty incredible. But yes, the World yeah. Series game was better. I There are very few moments when watching TV, watching sp- well, live, live sports where your jaw just kind of drops at, at the end of it. I didn't know what happened. So it was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. I, was, yeah. I watched like the last hour of that game as I'm like playing on the podcast and stuff like yeah. that. And for those who were like, oh, the SEC slate kind of sucks. Maybe you flipped off. You know, South Carolina LSU at halftime because right. that game was a snoozer, much to our surprise. And you, and you flipped on the World Series, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is absolutely incredible." Yeah. And I compared it to <laughs> to Michigan State with the the fumbles yeah, on uh, a couple a couple or I guess five years ago. Now it's a crazy thought. Five years, wow. All right, we will talk all things SEC. I promise. There's a lot of non-SEC things, but before we do that, Marler, our great friends at Texas Pete's are still. Providing all sorts of great Saturday lunches, even when there's only four games in the SEC, you can yeah. still sneak in your Texas Pete. Oh man, I went old school Texas Pete yesterday. I went to 2019 Texas Pete, and, and listen, you guys know how much we love Texas Pete. I, I will say, I've been I've been trying to make some changes here, Connor. I, I'm down like, well, I know I'm down at least 14 pounds. I haven't weighed boy, myself since. Boy. Uh, yeah, thank you. This month, yeah. By the way, I've been go. like I've been getting after it, and so. I've, I've still been having my Texas Pete. I've been having my Texas Pete in the healthiest of ways. Though. I've had it with some eggs. Had it with some grilled chicken. Yep. Um, sometimes skinless grilled chicken if I'm feeling super, super uh, into healthy stuff. Yesterday I went old school Texas Pete, and it was so damn good. I, I got fried chicken, potato salad, and, and Texas Pete, and I, and I did what I do. I took some of the, 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 the fried chicken, put it into the potato salad, doused it with Texas Pete, mixed it all together. And a lot of you are saying, Chris, that sounds sad. It, it was, yeah. but it was also... So, so happy. Um, and I'll tell you another thing that makes me happy besides Texas Pete. It's that you guys reaching out that have never had Texas Pete and are trying it for the first time. We had several people reach out to us this weekend that live in places that don't have Texas Pete. I didn't know where those places were. I assume it's just old, the, like, communist well, Tommy O'Rourke's got to get them sent in a, in a box to Australia. So yeah. we know it's not everywhere. 
Well, I know, but, but Tommy's always hitting like a, a parlay of some sort, and, and like for like thirteen grand. True. So he's like, he's, I know he's just swimming in Texas Pete. Like if Tommy O'Rourke sent me a photo of him backstroking in Texas Pete, it would be the least shocking thing I think I've seen. <laughs> I love Tommy O'Rourke. Um, anyway, but so I, I, it's been awesome seeing some of those. Also, been awesome seeing some of y'all setups. Uh, again, I, I got. I, I think we gave Derek Walden a shout out uh, last week about his backyard setup. Got an IGDM, and I forgot his name, and I feel so bad now. I'll say it on the next one. Who's like, can't have Derek Walden be showing me up. Another one of our listeners shows me his back back uh, back deck setup, and it was complete with outdoor TV, a fire pit, and of course some Texas Pete. So shout out Texas Pete. Home gating is where we're at. It's the new tailgating. Uh, make sure you're sending us all of those pictures um, and reviews uh, with the so- hashtag sauce like you mean it. Uh, and there you go. The big news of the day. In college football, in my opinion, Jalen Waddell is out for the year, which we found out, oddly enough, at halftime of the Alabama-Tennessee yeah. game. You see him go down on the opening kickoff, and at first, you know, it looked, it looked ugly, but you're kind of thinking, all right, maybe he's, hopefully he's just going to be out a week or two. Got rolled up on it. Yeah, just got rolled up on it. Didn't necessarily look as, as graphic as what happened to Dak, where that was right away. You just kind of knew right. this is really, really bad. And when we found that out at halftime, I was kind of stunned by it. And I'll, I'll be honest, when everybody afterwards was talking about Saban's comments about, oh, how like he shouldn't have taken it out of the end zone, I, I kind of overlooked that because I was such I was in such shock of the fact that, yeah. like, holy crap, like he's he's out for the year? Like Saban, Saban really says that? Because that's the type of thing where usually you wait until after a game and it, it almost, not to totally... Because the the comments seemed a, like a, just a little bit weird. I'm not gonna like hold it against Saban because I think it's it's an odd thing in the heat of the moment to have to face that reality. I I think I think it's an odd thing in the. the I'm not I mean to cut you off, but this thing I didn't know this was an argument, and it pisses me off because it's like I'm so sick and tired of of what people hold him accountable for, but it shouldn't matter. Like like he made a comment about. Jalen Waddle shouldn't have run that ball out. He shouldn't have run the ball out. But he I said think he everyone, gave him the freedom to do it. Like that's absolutely because he's the best. He's the best. He's the most explosive player in America, and he, and he might be the best offensive weapon in America. Totally understand why it happened. But it amazes me how quick it's that. It's that same stupid. <laughs> excuse my language, but with the guy a couple weeks ago, whether he I think he's from Chicago, it was like at the beginning of the season how he was like Nick Saban is is trash and doesn't care at all about his players. Like it's, I hate that San Francisco jumped to that. That was it. That okay. So I hate when we jump from that. I think it was a guy from Chicago that said like this. Oh yeah, you're right. The guy from Oakland or whatever. Um, I hate how we jump to that. Like he doesn't care about his players. I tell you what. I think Nick Saban cares about his players. Uh, and I think the best the best example and evidence we would have of that is how well he recruits year in and year out. And if if this was some like huge like great secret that he just didn't give a about any of his players and they're allowed to. He recruits him, but just just to pump him out. Like I think that would probably have come out by now. And I'm just—it's such a lazy narrative, and it's so damn stupid. Anyway, that's the first rant of the day. Yeah. The unfortunate thing, obviously, is that Jalen Waddle is electrifying, and he is yeah. one of the most exciting players, not just in 2020 to watch, but in recent memory. I mean, there are just yeah. very few guys who can do the things that he can do on a football field and there are zero guys that can do what he can do on a football field in college football currently currently for sure no doubt about it um it it absolutely impacts the potential upside of alabama because there's going to be plays this year where i don't know if it's mechie or if it's bolden making a play across the middle where you're going to say 
Waddle probably takes that to the house. And that's yeah. just it, it life is going to be a little bit more difficult on that Alabama offense, which as we know is humming. But I also not to take away from the injury because Jalen Waddle is an incredibly impactful player and he is someone that if you have him playing in a national championship, whether it's Clemson or Ohio State, whoever would have to game plan to stop him if your season's on the right. line, you have that oh crap moment every time he touches the ball. And that's how you know that a guy is incredible. When you you as an opposing fan yeah. base, if you have to root against him, you're like, oh no, this is bad news. Whenever he touches the football. I found myself at least saying... Can we now please stop saying that this Alabama offense is just about these receivers and nothing else? Because Mac Jones and the job right. that he did without Jalen Waddle, if you had told him, Bolden replaced him. If you Slate Bolden's a former three-star running back recruit. All right, like let's stop pretending like it's just all like top five five-star receiver recruits, and these guys are doing all the work because. Max Jones was like, oh, oh Jalen Wall's out? Like, oh, okay, I'll still throw for 387 yards, still throw for nearly 300 yards yeah. in the first half, and I'm not really going to skip a beat. Like, can we at least get to that point where we can acknowledge that this whole thing that Bama has going right now on offense, it's all the pieces working. It's Devontae Smith playing at a different level that he even played at last year. It's Mac Jones playing at such an extraordinary level. It's John Mechie stepping up. It's Steve Sarkeesian dialing up these plays. Jalen Wall's tremendous. But this offense, is, this is kind of proof that it's not just about the receivers and one position group. That was yeah. my only takeaway. No, I, I agree. So I had a lot more takeaways. Should I tell Should I tell the audience the nightmare that ensued at the start of this game for Oh, me? please do, because it's like literally if you could draw up a, a, a diabolical nightmare yeah. scenario for you, th- this is it. This this is like like the like the irrational dreams that I tell you guys I have sometimes. <laughs> this is games. it. Like yeah, this, that's it. This is literally what happened. So we're sitting here. Allie and I are sitting here in the office. We have we have the two TV set up right. We have we have one on the monitor, and then we have we have like a game on the TV. Three thirty three, TV goes out. Just just like glitches and it's like frozen. Just then it goes out. So we go to the living room, turn on that TV. Same thing. I know kickoff's coming. I'm like I'm like what what is going on? So I'm starting to freak out a little bit, right? So then finally I hear in the other room, back in the office, I hear, I hear the TV come on. I, I run in here and they start showing the kickoff. I'm like, all right, well, this one's fine. And, and we're trying to figure out with Comcast, like what's going on, blah, blah, blah. They show the kickoff. Something happens with the cable and the internet's down. My phone goes into this stupid ass thing that happens a lot now. It's like, where it says no SIM card and just shuts off. Like I have no, I have no access to anything, no internet, whatever. I have no idea why or, or how it happens. So I come in here. All I got for 11 straight minutes, the first 11 minutes of the game, was a glitched replay over and over and over again of the kickoff, where it cut out and froze right as Waddle was being tackled. You it, know, it, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. I've been a little bit high on the conspiracy theories lately. Yeah. You live in Georgia. You wore the Bama <laughs> stuff around town after last week. I, I haven't I, changed shirts. I'm just going to speculate here. Yeah. Did you upset someone at the cable company? Did you? I'm sure. I'm sure I, I've, I upset so many people all the time, so I, I'm, I'm sure it was something. But it was, it was the worst possible start to the game. I, I think with Jalen Waddle, I said this yesterday, and this is the second straight year where Alabama's lost their best offensive player against Tennessee. Yeah. And, it, and that's not like – I'm not pointing the finger at Tennessee. I know there were a lot of Georgia fans that reached out, like personally and on Twitter, that were like, I've watched Georgia tear three ACLs there in two seasons at Neyland. That track is horse blank. It, it, it's just awful. I don't think that's what happened. I think it was just a, a bad, you know. It can happen on any play. Just, 
Yeah, it could have happened any play. It happened on this play, and it was just the, the way it was tackled and all that kind of stuff. There's so many things that could have been brought up. Um, again, I, I like, and you guys know, like, I mean, Kristen's one of my good friends. We talked about it yesterday, and, and she was devastated. And I know from speaking to her that her dad was devastated. Like, like just like beyond, beyond just like a normal player. And that's all I'll say. Like, it just, it was a, and it's not because of how great Jalen Waddle is, it's because of how great of a kid Jalen Waddle is and how far he's come in, in that program. Um, this thing with Waddle that sucks, and, and I know you brought up, you know, this, the Bama O is like all the receivers. That's why Mac Jones is good. I, I think that you're right. And again, you're taking this from the wrong perspective because you're using logic and reason. <laughs> this will not only be, this will not only continue to be the narrative, it'll be, People will like double down on this narrative even harder if Mac Jones's numbers start to fall, which they I would assume would because of the numbers he started out the year with. Three straight, four, three straight 400 games. yard games. And then has this one for 387. And he got pulled with 10 like, minutes left. Like he should have yeah. easily. Had it. <laughs> the two the two things I'm I'm most annoyed by already, and they haven't even happened yet, is that narrative continuing. Well, Mac Jones obviously is good when he doesn't have Jalen Waddle. Well, no shit. Jalen Waddle is going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft, and and like the offense will look different. And the the biggest thing that they're going to lose with Jalen Waddle is like, I, I hate that I can't say like he's the fastest player in the country because Anthony Schwartz is, so he's he is the second fastest player in the country, and it, there's no one else that can that steps on the football field that can emulate and do what he does. With, like with and, the ball in his the, hands, the, he's the best in the right. country. Right, and the saddest part is, he really like. Like, he stepped up, I feel like, most in big games. You look at the, the punt return last year against LSU to get yeah. Bama back when they were down 10-0. The game against Auburn where he has he has four touchdowns. Look at the game against uh, the Georgia SEC Championship game 2018 when they're down 28-14. to 14, It was good. Uh, and he catches the, the beautiful play design where he comes under on the, the slant or crossing route and takes it to the house. I mean, this kid, it wasn't just speed. He was an incredible receiver. And him being out is going to really, really hurt, I think, the offense because you just can't design as much uh, when, when he's out. The next thing I cannot – cannot look forward to less is we have a white receiver that's 5'10", 180 pounds named Slade, and the Julian Edelman comments and comparisons that are going to start to happen are already awful. Just already. I, I just, I mean, and they actually might make sense, to be honest. I'm just over it. I mean, Bama's never really, in this era of revamped offenses, Bama hasn't really had a guy like that that is kind of in that mold, so I don't, I don't really get that. I mean, I, I get the, yeah. the, nazi, the the lazy narrative on that, but right. that's, yeah, beside the point, in my opinion. Um, the game, though, was still never close, and, you know. Yeah, that's surprising. I, I could go back to, let's, let's you know what, let's talk Tennessee. Can we, are yeah. you okay to do that? Um, uh, what? <laughs> I thought, I honestly, I think I'm the only one that picked them to cover the spread in, in that. Uh, I was going to get picks. to that. I had, yeah. I had Alabama winning. 45 to 14 and the game was 48 to 17 so yeah. like that's pr- i mean it was 31 point the week of connor the week the week of connor continues even though i was only two and two of my picks my picks against the spread this year are crap and i hope you've been fading me but how in the world does jeremy pruitt do two things one how does he start jared garantano yep. how does he start him in that game when you've seen this movie before to me that was Jeremy Pruitt being afraid to take any sort of risk and being well, he threw afraid. The towel started. He did. And if you don't think that's the case, then why on fourth and two, down 14 nothing, when you haven't stopped Alabama's offense yet and you know they're going to be able to put up a ton of points on fourth and two on the 16, are you like, yeah, man, let's kick a field goal? That's crap. 
That's crap. And I'm so sick and tired of watching coaches do that. I watched freaking Will Muschamp do that later on in the LSU game where it's like, what are you doing here? You're making it 24 to 20. You're going from a 24-point deficit to a 21-point deficit. You're not accomplishing anything. If you really think that your players are like, yeah, man, we got three points. Now we feel good about ourselves. That's kind of your job to be able to coach them up on the sideline and say, hey, yeah. we need to do more than this if we want to win this game. That's not going to win you this game. If you're worried about margin oh, yeah. of defeat, then you shouldn't be in this business. If you're not going out there and trying to win football games, which I think Pruitt is, I just think his approach to do it sucks at times. Mm-hmm. That was another example where I'm just like, I don't know if Pruitt gets it. I just don't. And I kind of, you know, I don't yeah, know, man. You're right. You, it's like you know this was it's just like remember when you were like in middle school and there was like a girl you had a crush on there was like the, like like the hottest girl in your class or hottest girl in school or whatever and you were like like if there's like a middle school dance or something something like that and you want to go ask her out you want to go ask her to dance or, or whatever but you don't because you're embarrassed if if she says no you're going to get embarrassed everyone's going to make fun of you and it's going it's going to be a bad look so you just don't do it you just don't try that's it, that's what this reminded me of because it was like bro you you never gave yourself a chance to win. Like you said it. I mean, shout out, shout out to uh, our, our buddy. Why? What, what, what am I doing now? Sean Larkin, who, who texted me, um, and it was like this. It's fourteen to three. You don't you don't kick field goals to beat Bama. It's twenty one three coming in hot. And I was like, I don't know. It's like, you know they. I, I forgot what excuse I made for him, but it was the wrong one. And and like, yeah, you're spot on because that's exactly what happened. They they went down twenty one three in the next possession, and it just it, it really told me like he. I was I was shocked by the Garantana thing and have no understanding or reasoning why he could. I'm not going to defend it. I, I don't understand why th- Garantana had a good game. I'm not going to defend why why Jeremy Pruitt put him in, but he never gave this team a chance to win the game ever. ever. There was never a chance where he came into this into this game when they came like they ran out of the tee at, at, at the start of any of it, where he was going into this saying. We have a chance to beat Alabama. We're going to take that chance to beat Alabama. The onside kick was like a quarter too late. It was also not a good onside kick. Just bizarre. Yeah, everything he did screamed like, I mean, you brought Will Muschamp. It looked exactly like how Will Muschamp coached against him in week one. I don't know what, what, you know, they talk about the Lane Kiffin thing. It's like, well, the book says to do this. I don't know what book they're reading. But it is not a Kiffin's good book. Kiffin's book doesn't say kick a field back. goal at fourth and two on the 16 <laughs> yeah. when you're facing Alabama. There's no book that says that. And, and you could run it down their throats. Oh, my gosh. It, it just It's so frustrating watching so many of these coaches make these ultra-conservative decisions where I'm like, are you just worried about not getting shut out? Is, is that yeah. what this is coming down to? Because if, if so... What a, what a dog crap message to send to your team when you're in year three, man. You're in year yeah. three. You're now 0-8 against rivals. Your closest loss to one of those rivals is 22 points. Your average margin of defeat is 28 points. That yeah. is terrible. And I look at this Tennessee team who we're talking about a few weeks ago. Have they turned the corner? Have they kind of figured out who they are offensively? This defense is good. I still think the defense is actually all right. They didn't have yeah. a chance in that game against Bama, and no. they, they weren't going to have a chance because of what they were trying to do offensively and the limitations that they had, without a doubt. And because nobody's think, really stopped Alabama to begin with. Yeah, we should definitely point that part out. Um, but do you think that this was – so Tennessee made it 21-10 at one point, right, in the second quarter. And I remember them panning to the crowd, and there's like player, like like fans, like pumped up. Like, Twenty-eight yeah, to ten. It ended at halftime. Twenty-eight to ten. Yeah, Bama scored a minute. Okay, later. gotcha. A two or two minutes and seven seconds later, or nine seconds later. Um, but but part of me wonders that like when you talk about like worrying about getting shut out, 
Like, I, I wonder, does, part of me thinks that when he came into this game and the way he saw six quarters ago when, when they had a lead against Georgia and how quickly everything turned when they had expectations, part of me wonders if, if he was more comfortable with being in this place where the expectations are still low, people aren't getting their hopes up, because that way, when you have your hopes up, like when the expectations are high and people expect something out of you and you fail them, he uh, he's already learned in, in the, his very short tenure as a head coach that 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 is a recipe for disaster for him and and, and it's, that's when you start hearing about hot seat stuff and that's when you hear about it getting shown the door and I wonder if part of him was like well you know if we just if we show up in a very Will Muschamp attitude with with zero expectations where we've already set the bar so Ugh. low what's the worst that could happen I hate that I I hate yeah. that I look at this remaining schedule and I just don't know I I don't know how this team. The way that they look right now and the limitations that they have offensively, I don't know how this plays out favoring Pruitt. And I look at, okay, so coming up, these last five games, you're two and three right now. At Arkansas, that game all of a sudden looks a lot more difficult. You have AM at home. If AM has turned the corner, that's not great. On the road against Auburn, who the heck knows? Home against Vandy, that's as favorable as it gets. And then You've got home against Florida to end your regular season. I don't know, other than Vandy, where the automatic win is. I mean, Auburn's a loss. I'll just tell you that right now. There's no way that Auburn's going to lose with 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 what they got going on down there. So um, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, I mean, like Arkansas is your best chance at a win. But I do they got a week off going into this? And like, you know, what's crazy is that. Is there, think about, again, where we were three weeks ago, or even two and a half weeks ago, like at the halftime of that Georgia game. Is there anybody in this country outside of Knoxville that is is looking at this game and is like, Tennessee has a very good chance of beating Sam Pittman in Arkansas. Felipe Franks and Arkansas. That, <laughs> like, this is a, if they fall to two and four with what we knew, we thought we knew about Arkansas coming into this year. That is a really tough sell all of a sudden to that administration. When you're in year three, you're in year three with Jeremy Pruitt, and you can't tell me that Sam Pittman didn't walk into a more difficult situation. You can't tell me that. And if you are not able to win a game like that, and all of a sudden it's two and you're two and four and your season's over. I mean, they're essentially they're already yeah. basically eliminated from even if they were to go seven and three, they can't win the division with Georgia looking like this and Georgia having the tiebreaker over them. Do you all of a sudden say, "Hey, man, I don't, I don't know if Pruitt gets to year four. Like, I know that he just got the I, extension. I know he just got the so extension. So dumb, though. I mean, not what you're saying, but like that, that you're right. I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You finished. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know how he. He probably the extension keeps it keeps him for year four probably like that's probably. that's why you make a move like that if you're Pruitt if you're Jimmy Sexton that's the that's the reasoning behind it but I I just feel like you are all of a sudden on every hot seat list in America in year yeah. four all of a sudden when this season can get away from you and we talked about that coming into this year guys checking out when that's a team that still has five SEC games left. And that is a really tough thing to, to, to continue to get guys motivated when you start off with those high expectations and it's looking good out of the gate and then quickly everything is taken away. Good coaches can rally their team and be able to figure it out. I, I don't know that Jeremy Pruitt's going to do that yet with this team I, this And I year. don't either, but I, I will say that, like, like I, I'm, I'm just going to – I'm going to 
say this off the cuff and, and tell you how I feel like it, like it is, in my opinion. And Tennessee fans are not going to want to hear it because you're part of the problem, like flat out. And and, and that, then part of this will be a little bit mis, misdirected maybe because it's, it's, it's a lot from ball Twitter. But Tennessee is a toxic, toxic environment. And I thought about this yesterday when Bama was playing them because Bama's won 14 straight against them. And, and this is – they won by 31 there. They've not won by less than, I think, 28 points, something like that, in Knoxville. They've won, they've won now eight of the last 11 by 30 points. That's just Bama. And, 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 and Saban has won all 14 of those games – Tennessee's had five. They're, this is their fifth different head coach in that time span. Fifth in 14 seasons. And, and the problem is, in my opinion, Tennessee. T- like, not Jeremy Pruitt, because, because I, I, there are definitely limitations to Jeremy Pruitt as, as a coach. I'm sure there are. We talk about Kirby Smart all the time and how he can recruit the best talent, which we now see Jeremy Pruitt doing, right? Like, Kirby Smart can recruit the best talent, but he can't figure out how to, how to put like, the right quarterback out there. Jeremy Pruitt seems like a, like just cut from the same exact cloth as that. That seems to be a very similar problem. And, and I don't know if Jeremy Pruitt's ever going to outcoach somebody necessarily like on a big stage when it matters. That stat you had about being 0-8 against rivals with 22 points as the, as the closest loss is, is terrifying. But the fact that these fans and the administration have repeatedly had just – can I say it? I'll say it. Kind of earmuff it. F*** this up like from, a, from an administration standpoint is, is – the the like the core of the issue it, like you've you've created this unreasonable reasonable expectation for every single person that comes in there and they have to do it in the shortest time span imaginable like it, it's you don't have you have no stability your fans want no part of the stability they constantly the first thing they want to do is like riot and think that like they they need to overturn something have their voices heard it's crazy like they did all of this to themselves and that's why nobody outside of knoxville feels bad for them and I know that sounds like kind of tough, but like I think that I think this is where we're at because that entire situation is completely toxic. It's a very, very tough situation right now yeah. for Tennessee, and it's only going to get tougher. Get the feeling that uh, there are some very difficult decisions that are that are going to come ahead for for Philip Fulmer, who kind of thought he had his guy, and after the way that things have kind of spiraled away, three straight blowout losses, it makes you rethink things. No doubt about it. Auburn. In case you missed it, and I don't think you missed it if you're listening to this podcast, because I assume that people who are listening to this are informed SEC fans who, you know, even if you don't spend time us. on social media, they, you know, you, you get the gist of it by the time you're listening to this. Auburn, believe it or not, caught another break. If you didn't see the play, it was a kickoff. And Which one? Sean Shivers is returning a bouncing ball, and it appears to just go right past him. And Sean Shivers turns and runs for the ball. But he ultimately doesn't get it, and Ole Miss looks like it recovers the football in the end zone, which Ole Miss players are like, hey, he touched it. He touched it. That should be he goes, touchdown he Ole Miss. He runs after it for like a, like a minute and then realizes once like there's about to be like a scrum, he waves his arm. Yes. And it's like, oh, fair catch, fair catch. Yes. Replay clearly shows, clearly shows that it hit his finger. And... Instead, they don't stop for a full review. And that decision came from Uh, the Birmingham offices. There is a zero, and I mean a zero percent chance that anyone in Birmingham watched that play in anything other than real time. Because if they did, they would have seen it in two seconds. And then, of course, Auburn goes on to score the go-ahead TD later. What was the quote, Connor? We gave it a quick look. 
We gave it a quick look. It was exactly what they said on the broadcast to Tom Hart and Jordan Rodgers. And Lane's like, Lane's like, they look at everything. They stop every play everything. and they don't look at that more in depth. I was I was blown away. Everybody immediately was like, how, how in the world does this does this continue to happen where Auburn ends up on the right side of these SEC fishing things? I understand that they caught a, a kickoff return that was called back earlier on a borderline hold call, but this was it is the far definition more egregious. of gaslighting from Auburn, and they do this. They Gus Malzahn is the king of this. Is is that the moment you know that you like you are in the wrong? Like the moment you know you are on like the the fortunate side of of, of some BS call. The first thing he does is refuse to acknowledge it. And then go into something how they were affected negatively, and the fan base just—I mean—eats it up. Eats like immediately. Well, how come this wasn't called either? It's like, bro, let's take a break and go back to to, to point number one that we were looking at here. Let's look at like like Exhibit A. We'll get to Exhibit B and all that other crap you guys want to talk about in a second. Let's talk about this for one minute. No, refuse to do it. It's mind blowing. And that game—that game should have at least gone into overtime, right? Like, I, I get it because. It's, it ends up being a one-touchdown game that should have been a touchdown for Ole Miss. I would argue it puts Auburn in a different place offensively where all of a sudden they feel like they got to throw the ball Bo a little Nicks bit more, and that's not ideal. So it was a game-changing play, and Lane Kiffin, in case you missed it, uh, retweeted the replay that called out the SEC officiating account on Twitter. Uh, probably has a fine coming his way for that, but I agree with Lane because when you're sitting there with one win on the year – and it feels like your team did what it had to do in order to win a game, and your your team recognized the situation, and you get that call back. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. And Auburn, for the third time this year, benefited from a very obvious game-changing call. It's only three? I count the Kentucky goal line play, obviously the Arkansas spike, and that one is the Three very obvious, okay, yeah. they messed this up, and there's really no debate in my mind about it. All wins, right? Um, those those were those were all wins. Those were, yeah, okay. three and two. So here's how I want to go about this. And, and, and I know that Auburn fans are, we, as I saw in the Facebook group, um, besides Dallas Johns, shout out Dallas Johns, uh, who are blindly defending this. I get it. I get it. I'm a fan as well. And, and, I, and I'll say, first and foremost, before I get into this rant, and I, this is like the third rant of the whole, whole episode. You've had like four bleeps already I'm, before I've been this. I've fired up. Yeah. I, I, well, and I only wrote down three, so I'm sorry Yikes. for the fourth one. Um, Auburn, as much as I think they should have lost that football game, the, the credit, they do need to be credited for some things in this game. The fact that no doubt. Ole Miss was still not, the fact that Ole Miss allowed Chad uh, or Blondix to go three of four for 80-plus yards in the final drive. The fact that safety came over the top and did whatever the hell he was horrible doing. Horrible play. Horrible. Awful. Absolutely horrible. You should – every like, I kept screaming to Allie, and she was over it from very early <laughs> on uh, because I was like, this, I was like, you know, here, this is why – this bad football pisses me off. I hate watching bad football. And Lane, as much – like, he is very lucky he gets to feel vindicated from this loss because of the end result yeah, of yeah. the play because he did everything he could to take Ole Miss out from this game. The fact that he, you have the interception from Matt Crowell in the end zone into double coverage in the very first like drive of the game, right? That should have at least been three. That that's what's up. No, I was no. Oh, okay. go ahead. So that that's they're inside like the ten yard line. He throws an interception. That should have at least been three points. So there's there's six six to seven points off the board, um, or at least three. Like I said, you have the fake field goal in field goal range, and I understand the conditions were really bad, like. But that's another three points that are seemingly taking off the board. Your defense, all you had to do 
Not stop Tank Bigsby, because that was not going to happen. That was absolutely not going to happen. I mean, to be fair, Ole Miss is kind of lucky that Auburn didn't choose to run the ball down their throats that last five minutes because they could have easily done so. Chad Morse is just an idiot and refuses to do that for some reason and wanted to win it with Bo Nix's arm. I have no idea why. Bo Nix statistically had a good day yesterday. If you were watching the game, there's no part of that besides the final drive that you were actually impressed with what Bo Nix was doing. Seth Williams right. made a, a, an awesome play in that spot, by the way, which to yes. be able to have the presence of mind to, to recognize you've got two safeties yeah. down and you can make that little slip move. Very yeah. nice kind of redemption week for Seth Williams. We'll, I'll yes. definitely say that. So Ole Miss is not at uh, not without fault here in, into why they lost. And they still, mm-hmm. even with the bad call, should have, should have found ways to win this game. They did... A lot of this to themselves and why they came out on the short end of this game. Now, um, the other part of this, Tank Bigsby is an absolute monster and he's going to be a problem for SEC teams the entire season. 24 you carries. See that game. kid. Yeah. Looked fantastic. It was awesome to watch. He's on kickoffs as well. I thought it was holding. They showed the replay. It, it, I, it seemed like it was holding to me and, and I, whatever. Here's the deal. If you are an Auburn fan and you're watching this, and I, here's what I'm going to do, Connor. I'm going to tell you to ear muffin. I'm not going to write down how many cuss words I say. I'm just going to say it. This We're starting at 37 minutes. I'll count. Right off the bat. Are you f- kidding me That's that funny. this is a thing? That like that we are actually having to sit here in week five of the season and we have to put up with the f- constantly of, of SEC refs that are out of, like, completely out of position, not going to make the right... Oh, excuse my language. It is like it is mind blowing that we have a review system that is complete because every time we watch it, they never get it. They never get it right. Why do you watch it in slow motion if it's still not gonna be right? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna keep my let me keep the volume down. Like why do we why do we watch it in slow motion if it's still gonna be wrong? How do you go out of your way every single week seemingly? And, and I know that seems like an exaggeration, but you've done it for three out of the five weeks of the season so far and it blows my mind that one team is continuously getting the benefit of the doubt and their fans for some unknown reason think this is all some kind of crock against them that other people know we're not getting into the good calls what about this what about that how about this connor how about the fact that when matt corral leapt in the end zone he got decked by one of the linebackers from auburn no call we protect quarterbacks this league right no call how about the fact that on a play they ended up the drive they ended up scoring on later in the game I watched a defensive back who turned to get his head around to see the ball grab the front part of a jersey. It was said on the on camera on the broadcast, wow, he just made his jersey into a V-neck. Pulled it down, <laughs> nothing. Receiver right in front of him. Jordan Rogers even said, he was like, oh, I think that's just hand fighting. They show the replay. It's clearly not hand fighting. Nothing was called. Everyone in the stadium saw it, but the f- refs that are on the field that are supposed to see this every single week. We pay you to do a job. Do the f- Job. I'm so glad you let me say the effort. This is the most effort I've ever said around you. Yeah. I'm sorry. But it, this it's so frustrating that like like you are paid to do a job, do your job. And the fact that we have let an Auburn football team who is now three and two, look at the rest of their schedule, Connor. Look at the rest of their schedule. Because this team will end up going seven and three or eight and two or somehow and have this miracle. It's exactly like how the 2013 season went out, except this isn't a good football team. This football team and the fact that we have them at three and two is mind-blowing. And it pisses me off for the fans of the other teams. It pisses me off as a fan of their rival, obviously. But the fact that we are sitting here and allowing, like, this has been a blunder from the start. Are we almost on double digits? Are you about to run out of hands? No, we're at double digits. We're already at 10. Okay. <laughs> so you have, a lot, like, Chad Morris, I said yesterday, Tank Bigsby's going to save Chad Morris's job. No, the refs have saved Chad Morris's job. This is out of control stupid. And the fact that we have to do this week in and week out, we go to review what the f- 
are y'all even doing? I had set the over-under at 12 and a half, and you hit the under, actually. You're, you're at 11. 11 bleeps. Them kids. We're gonna, speaking of whether or not somebody earns their paycheck, Will's gonna earn his paycheck on this episode. My goodness. I just It really does frustrate me for the fan base of the, like, of other schools, and obviously, I, I, I know this is coming from, like, partially from, like, a bias of, like, their rival fans. I, I'll admit that. But, like, I said it yesterday, and I stand by it. You guys have been saying for years this lazy-ass narrative about how, how it, that, that counts them. You know, that's 13 right there. You're welcome. That's 12. That's 12. Okay, so we've been saying for years, and, and, and you guys in the fan base, I had to read some, some trash bag person write an article last week about, oh, an open letter to the SEC officials because the Georgia game, like, that was a bunch of excuse my language again. There's the but, like, the fact, But the fact that you have, like, I have to read that, and I have to hear about Bama does this, Bama does that, and Bama gets away with calls. I'm sure they do. I'm absolutely sure they do. You guys get upset about it. You guys have been complaining about the wrong team in Alabama getting the benefit of the doubt on calls for this entire time, this entire time. And like Georgia fans recognize it, Kentucky, uh, Arkansas sure as shit recognizes it. Again, sorry, but like it, it is, it's just mind blowing to me that this is not a bigger issue from, from like a league standpoint. And, and, and like the fact that the SEC officiating crew, it, it reminds me of Major League Baseball, it, like, or, or like, like refs or like, I'm sorry, from, from Major League Baseball because there's no penalty. Like there's, there's, they're, they're not held accountable for anything. And in, in a world where in 2020 you are supposed to be held accountable for your actions, we do nothing for this on a weekly basis. They, they are held accountable, not in a public way. They're held accountable, and they, they get taken off games, and they get take, they get demoted if they are making mistakes like this. They get graded by the head of officiating. The frustrating thing is that yeah. when the head of officiating will get on get on the broadcast, and they'll like completely, right. they completely agree with the officials every time. We've talked about this a lot. I mean, I- well, no, but so yesterday, and this is, I don't know how many times I've seen this happen this season alone. How many times have we seen both broadcasters in the group, or in the booth, say, yeah, that's a flag. That should be a flag. This should be a penalty. Or that touches hand or whatever. And then they bring in the head of officials and says, I agree with you guys. Then we see, it happened in the Bama game yesterday for targeting. Like, we see both of them agree. The head official agrees. And then we go back to the, the officials on the field and they turn it around. I watched a man, a, a man, a, like an actual ref, get doxxed last week online because of that stupid ass article. Because of he lives in Tuscaloosa. This is his address. This is where he works. Blah blah. blah. And there's nothing. There's nothing in comparison to, to this weekend. It just blows my mind that we're okay with this. It's a shame that that game was ended. Well, it's a shame that that's going to hang over that game because I thought the game was pretty fun, actually. It was a good game, yeah. It's good competitive uh, in a day where we did not have much of that in the SEC. That was the lone source of down-to-the-wire entertainment, although that last Ole Miss possession was just bizarre. I, what was that about? I, I have no idea what was going on. <laughs> Matt Corral threw the ball about five yards ahead of the line of scrimmage. I actually thought he played pretty well, too, and yeah. I love the little wrinkles that John Rice Plumley had in there with Lane, who was tweeting about that before the game, like, hey, Jeff Levy, get this guy more involved, blah, blah, blah. Lane's, Lane's been great on, on social media yeah. this, this year. That's been fantastic. But feel bad for Ole Miss that they're not able to uh, come out with a win when that, that, of course, is going to be the big headline. LSU, we were just a bit off on this one. <laughs> Holy cow. Total domination from, yeah. from start to finish. TJ Finley starts, the true freshman. I tried not to make Ryan Paralou comps. I tried. I really did, mentally. Oh, was, he was more Rohan Davey to me. Mm, okay, I can see so, that. So physical and big. Yeah, um, but just totally dead wrong. TJ Finley looked yeah. ready to roll. Peter Burns pointed out, LSU is now 11-0 after a loss under Coach O. 
And Coach Yo. O deserves some credit. You want, you know who else deserves some some stinking credit? And let's it's, it's about time that we gave it to him. And then not not so much Bo because that defense still has some issues. Okay, yeah, good. Ensminger. Let's give some credit for Steve freaking Ensminger because all that guy has done with so much turnover is just come out and light up scoreboards week after yeah. week to start the year. He gets a true freshman in there, a guy who you didn't even get a spring game. Athletes obviously had a very yep. weird offseason, and it's just like, hey, now's your time. I hope you're ready to go. This is a three-star kid. I know he was talented, but still, at the same time, we're talking about somebody who is very early into their college experience, and what a game Steve Ensminger called. I love that he catered this game plan to Finley. He's making yeah. anticipation throws. He's throwing into Beautiful. big windows. I loved that goal line call that he had where it's a rub route to free up Terrace Marshall, who had oh, who had man. J.C. Horn on him. That was the perfect play call. That was the rub route of all rub routes. Oh. Like it, it was it was a beautiful execution, beautiful play call. I thought it, it you could have made the argument it was offensive pass interference because it because it was like it was just blatantly obvious that the the play design was calling for that. It wasn't, and regardless, like, man, like, like, way to scheme open your best receiver, way to completely take out their best defender, yep. like, where it wasn't even close, easy throw. I, I, t- I was wrong about the, the pick in the game, for sure, but all that crap that you heard me talking about last week about how, you know, like, Steve Ansmeyer deserves to have a, a, a 13, a 13 cusper rant onto me for, for this whole thing last week about how, you know they don't they don't practice any backup quarterbacks. They don't they don't give them any reps. They haven't. And, and I went through the numbers. And they really didn't. They didn't need to. And if you look at this this program now under with Steve Insminger at the helm at OC, even without Joe Brady, they went from having a, a decade long quarterback problem to anything but anything I, I, but. Like he looked fantastic. Three touchdowns in the first half. I mean, like he was. Ball. I think he was sixty or fourteen of eighteen in the first half. Like looked incredible. Now there's a different discussion that apparently is caught me a little bit off guard, I'll be honest. If you watch the game, you heard Dan Orlovsky say that Finley should be the guy. And I think that's a little bit too much of an outside (laughs) perspective where you you enter a game and you're not necessarily dissecting all the elements about how much they love Miles Brennan coming into this year, how much they build him up as the guy and how much he's waited his turn. Miles Brennan, just in in case you forgot, when healthy, so far this year, had more passing yeah. yards and passing touchdowns in his first three starts than any LSU quarterback in program history. LSU's he offense wasn't the problem in these first three games. And I know that there were times during the Mississippi State game where he looked a little bit overwhelmed, but Miles Brennan has not been the problem. And if Miles Brennan had defensive performances like this to go along with those other two games yeah. that LSU lost, we would not be talking about whether or not Miles Brennan deserves to keep his job. And that's not to say that TJ Finley is just all oh, a fill or anything like that. He got some valuable reps. And I think if given the, the durability issues, we discussed about Miles Brennan, that's a great thing to be able to have in yeah. your back pocket. That's good. This defense is still Ben but don't break. It still is. And Coach O brought it up at halftime. There's still too many guys just running free. And I know it was better. Yeah. It was much better. It wasn't nearly as bad as it was against Mississippi State or Missouri. But they still allowed a few of those big home run plays. Kevin Harris had another long touchdown run. At least it wasn't a total doormat. You saw B.J. Ojolari, the brother of Aziz, Whoa. the great Georgia defender, looked like a man possessed. That yeah. dude looks like the real deal. Three sacks. True freshman. He looked like he was. I was so on glad a they were level. related. I was like, I was like, not Well, I mean, like that's like that. That's not like a common last name. 
by any means, but but at the same time, I was like, I don't want to assume they're brother, they're brothers, but like they have to be, right? Yeah, and then, like, yeah they're they both playing be. like off the edge, <laughs> and they looked like both of them are so damn good off the edge. I was like, surely they have to be related. Yes. And then, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was awesome. Like there there were so many, you know, Emery, John Emery, who I kind of expected to be the guy. He he looked like he still looked good, but Davis Price, the fact they were able to get the run game going finally, finally. And, and, yeah. and like the balance they had on offense, two sixty five through the air, two seventy six on the ground. That that was what was most impressive to me, and, and like, I think that they've they finally found too with the with the running situation where or the running back situation is, they don't like people wanted Chris Curry to be the guy coming in after the way he kind of closed out games last year in, in absence of Clyde Peach Bowl uh, was Clyde's really absence. good, yeah, yeah, and and so I, I get that, and Emory obviously being the five star, but the fact that like, Emory's out here with with eighteen carries, eighty eight yards, Davis Price twenty two of one thirty five, you had multiple people get in the end zone. I thought it was great, and I think that there are. This is a bend but don't break defense. Still, it scares me how how many issues they had against the run. Um, Kevin like, Harris was good. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, and you look at you look at the way like it was. Inzweger deserves so much credit. It was it was a great job by him. The first drive for each team could not have been more opposite of what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Like you you have a fourteen play seventy five yard drive for a touchdown for LSU to start the game, right? Carolina gets the ball, three plays, 75 yards, touchdown. It's like just those two things should be reversed by, by team, you would think. The, the South, South Carolina, this is going to shock you, has some issues that I don't know if they're going to address, but they need to address. Colin Hill, when that first read is not there, is bad. Let's, let's just call He's what it is. He's not a good quarterback, yeah. It's, it's not coming quick enough, and we can talk about the cliche all we want about, hey, things speed up in the SEC compared to the Mountain West – that was that was a game in which you really kind of saw that play out because he made he made some okay plays in that game, but it's all first read type of stuff. And yeah, Kevin Harris six six is inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely egregious. You cannot have that. Eli Ricks made a nice play, but at the same time, it's like you, you can't make that throw in that spot. And it takes, in my opinion, your best source of offense out of the game when you make decisions like that. They yeah. South Carolina can can actually stay close. Kevin Harris is a guy that can not only hit the home run play, but he can wear down a defense. And Why I think did that's they not unique. run him. Twelve you, carries. They fell behind so early, so early. No, on. no. There was, there was. They did fall behind early. Completely agree. But there, there were ways to. Okay, okay. If, if and if that's the reason, you're not going to use Kevin Harris because I thought there was times where, like, hold on, when was this? Um, let me look at this game cast real quick. It was t- 31 to 10 with the pick six, right? And they were averaging nine yards a play or something like that. South Carolina was. Right. So uh, at 24 to 10, I don't understand why you weren't still trying to run the football. You throw the pick six again, like he stopped. It's like he stopped. It's like time stood still. He And he waited for the like the, the DB to get in front of him. You come back on the first drive of the next, or the, next, or the second half, and it's, it's 31 17. And, and then from there, it, it's you get boat raced. But like, there's there's times I thought where they could have still run the football and they were doing so effectively with him, not just near the goal line and, and not just like it's like when they were inside the twenties or at inside their own twenty or twenty five maybe from both, that's when they decided to run them. Anything else, it was like the Colin Hill show. And and if you're not going to commit to the run if you're too far behind, did Ryan Helinski like transfer? Did he did is he gone from the program? Is there a reason why you like you have two guys? A guy last year who was super exciting, and then you have Doty, who everyone wants to see. Why do you not put in someone else to see if there's a spark at all? 
Yeah, and this goes back to what we heard in the in the in the preseason was that Colin Hill was dissecting the offense that he knew from Mike Bobo a lot better than right. Ryan Holinsky was, and at the same time, I'd like to see Holinsky sometime soon if he's healthy. If he's healthy, he, he gotta is be healthy, able, right? I mean, that's that's what we've heard. You, I, I would like to be able to see him a little bit more because you saw why the upside is limited with South Carolina, especially when they uh-huh. fall behind. You can't put the game on Colin Hill's shoulders to be able to rally them back. He's no. not necessarily that guy. I'd feel a little bit better about him if I if I knew I was within a touchdown or 10 points and I could actually have some sort of established balance. But yeah. when you're in those spots when he's got to go through his reads and he's got to be able to throw in these obvious passing situations, I... <laughs> I, I become less and less enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I, I think that in this game especially, it was a perfect example of, of two coordinators where they just are a little bit too high on themselves at times, where it's like, I, I do think that Colin Hill is starting because Mike Bobo thinks he's the better fit. And, and, and I get why. And maybe in this, like in camp and in, in the game so far, he, beat, he beats Auburn last week, all that kind of stuff. You found yourself in a situation where you were – outmanned you you, nothing was happening and and just like we talked about the jeremy pruitt thing and we've talked about with will muschamp before you did nothing to change that you did nothing to kind of change what your approach was like any of it It, it's they just kept beating it's like just beating their heads against the wall and and i feel like what i don't know that ryan holinsky would be doing a whole lot with this group of receivers and well we're not going to know anyway we're we're probably not going to know for a while yeah but uh, again I don't like. I'm not saying Ryan Holinsky should be the starter for for the game after this. You're down by, uh, let's see here. You're down at one point fifty two to seventeen in the third quarter. You're down forty five to seventeen. Why the hell am I still watching Colin Hill go out and be as average as possible to not do anything to win a game? The only reason this game was even a four score game and they lost by twenty eight is because they scored with seven minutes to go. And there's things that like could have, they could have done like that hurt them with like the pick six obviously, and then they missed three field goals. But like. I don't understand why we let why if you're down by that many points, why is he the only quarterback playing? Yeah, and the other know. part of that too, it reminded me a lot of like what Bo Pelini said, or they, they reported Bo Pelini said, um, they're talking about all the defensive issues they had, and, and they asked Bo Pelini, or they talked to ask they asked Coach O, and he's like, yeah, I'd like to see this, you know, we need to simplify the defense. It doesn't mean so complex. Then they asked Bo Pelini, and his response was, this is the simplest defense I've ever coached. That's not good. It's like, yeah, like I, I get it, dude. Like it's ugh. Good news for LSU. Derek Stingley looked better. He looked better. Did not yeah. look like a, a liability, which I thought he was at times during that Mizzou game. Um, and, and you feel a little bit more encouraged that your defense oh. is going to be a total doormat. You know what we have next weekend? I just saw it. Oh, we're so blessed. <laughs> Chad Morris against Bo Pelini. You know, let's just, we need to create some sort of, mm, like, it's too easy to just say the loser of this game should be fired or stuff like that. Like, that's that's yeah. kind of a lazy thing. We need to come up with some sort of, some sort of, like, it almost needs to be treated like a the buddy bet. bowl. Yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. Some sort of incentive to not have the, the losing coordinator face such shame because they're going to, inevitably. Like, whoever yeah. whatever, whoever's on the losing side of that, it's going to be very, very rough from those fans. How can you not win against blah, blah, blah? I'll give you a bold prediction right now. This game, Auburn wins 31-30 to on a last-second interception from Derek Stingley, who goes up against Seth Williams on an errant throw. Wait, Auburn Bo wins? Nix. Yeah, and, and, and Derek Stingley rips the ball out of his hands in, in the air, 
comes down with it, and they call simultaneous possession in favor of Auburn. Auburn wins the game as time expires. I feel like you just drew up every single like hallmark possible elements of an Auburn win. Oh, there's nothing hallmark about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you opened a hallmark and, and saw the words that came, it would be so different. It would be bad. Let's talk about the worst game of the weekend. It, oh it was rough. God. It was rough. Big Ten football. This was, if you watch this, God bless you, because you have more patience than I did. Mizzou lulled all of us to sleep against Kentucky. I mean, that game was, I think, played in 1982. Um, There was no sort of dynamic offense, especially not on the Kentucky side. I don't want to say that we broke neighbor Terry Wilson. I don't want to say that. We didn't fix him, whatever we did, and I was, you know... I really wanted to pick Mizzou to win this game outright, and I felt bad because I was like, I can't do that. I picked against Kentucky every single week this year, it seems like, except for the first week. I've gotten Kentucky wrong every week. Every week I've gotten them wrong. Can't get it. Right. But now also we had we had neighbor Terry on who was fantastic and I was like, I can't pick against him. And man. Credit Eli Drinkowitz. His adjustments yeah. were great. I've talked about how it bothers me when coaches aren't willing to adjust mid-game. Eli Drinkowitz had a game plan in the third team, third different team that he was preparing to face. And he had made that adjustment in game. What has Kentucky done well these last two weeks? They have feasted off of turnovers Mm -hmm. first two games of the year they didn't have any forced turnovers they lost both of those games two games after that they win both of them they had forced 10 turnovers so what was mizzou going to do not turn the ball over they were going to try and keep kentucky's defense on the field as long as possible they were going to have high percentage throws they were going to put connor basilek in favorable spots and they were going to feed larry roundtree like it was the last game of his life 37 carries for larry roundtree mizzou held the ball for 40 three minutes they ran the ball 62 times this game there was a point in which kentucky did not touch the ball their offense didn't touch the ball for an hour of real time i mean it was just <laughs> they, had a 21 play drive that didn't end up with points how how is that even possible wait they they didn't touch the ball for an hour an hour of real time how did that was it because of halftime because of halftime yeah my God. Think about that. That'd be, that would just be boring. I don't want to. <laughs> that is terrible. Like, we can't even get on the field, man. This is awful. And I feel bad for this Kentucky defense who I thought played well. But, you know, you kind of see when you're not yeah. being able to get those takeaways, it changes what you can do. And this Kentucky offense, man, I was just talking to my brother about this. My brother lives in Lexington. His wife works at Kentucky. His fiance works in Kentucky, soon-to-be wife. And he's just like, why are we looking we look around the country and we, we look at what some of these offenses are doing. And Kentucky is almost like too entrenched with this throwback style because you can run the ball and still be creative with it, not to bring up this this name yeah. around you, but look at like what Kyle Shanahan does with the 49ers. Obviously he's a great offensive <laughs> mind. But why is yeah, Kentucky? You can run the ball, Connor. You can. And I think that's the worst effing example you could have given because we could have won a World, ugh, anyway, we could they're just so predictable in what they're trying mm-hmm. to do. And I felt bad for Kentucky fans who had watched that game because the second that they fell behind by two possessions, it was over. What is what is a more and I hate to say this because like you guys know we love we love Mark Soups and, and obviously we love Neighbor Terry. Uh, but we have to also do our jobs and be realistic here. What what is a more exciting and and threatening offense to you? Kentucky in 2020 with two healthy quarterbacks 
or Kentucky in 2019 with Lynn Bowden, or Lynn, sorry, Lynn Bowden running running point at quarterback? It's different because Lynn Bowden and the patience that he had in the backfield, they're not trusting, and I don't think Terry Wilson is the same sort of guy with the ball in his hands that Lynn Bowden is. Yeah. They're just different as ball carriers, and mm-hmm. Lynn had this ability to take on hits in a way that I think we we might have even taken for granted at the time, even though we talked about him so much, but it just sort of worked. It was still limited, obviously, in yeah. what they could do. There's no doubt about it, but Kentucky runs this offense that you're just like, they don't, they don't feel like they trust much of anything. They don't take anything. these chances downfield. Eddie Grant has not had any sort of creativity this year, and this is the type of no. year where I know Kentucky fans were really excited that Eddie Grant was coming back, and it was like, all right, you can kind of rebuild yeah. with this offense, and you rebuild around that offensive line, this ground game, and we talked about that. This is the type of year that Eddie Grant's going to get fired. It really I, is. I'm a- I, I don't know about that because, like, I think he's he's just so beloved. But uh, it's he, been bad. It's been looking, really if it's, bad. If it's, if it's merit based, he stays. If it's performance based, then yeah, you're a thousand percent right. I'm, and I'm, it's hard not for me to laugh thinking about this. And I'll just this is the petty side of me. But I was told by a coworker that that Eddie Grand, that that Jim Chaney, that that multiple Easy. of these people were better Easy. better play callers than than Steve Sarkeesian. But I think what this this offense reminds me of is like. You ever see you ever see like those videos that come up on on like social media? It's like look at this six year old uh, truck stick or whatever. It's like some like terrible like like six and under football game, right? And you see a, a quarterback get the ball and then just run to the corner near the sideline. It's like Hester's kids, what they're doing. Well, I wasn't gonna say. I said awful, so I wasn't gonna include. Oh, I just meant them dominating that. and just like yes. looking like they but, shouldn't be but, on the field with them. But I'm saying also, like, so imagine, like, not the highlight reel stuff, but where it's, like, just a kid oh. taking the ball, carrying kind of awkwardly, running to the sideline for, like, a loss of one or not a two-yard Hester's game. Kids. Not Hester's Not Hester's kids. Hester's kids. That's kind of what this offense reminds me of. It's, like, there's no creativity. Yeah. Like, we saw a couple weeks ago, and we marveled at it, and, and this should have been – the writing was on the wall. I mean, if we're being honest, the writing was on the wall. Like, because I know what they did against Tennessee. I, I get it, and it's a huge win, and that should not be taken away. But the fact that they they were able to come out here and beat Mississippi State with the offensive performance they had should have raised some eyebrows. 157 total yards of offense. They couldn't do, you know, they couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball. And I told you flat out that when I the moment I heard that guy on SEC this morning, and I can't remember his name, he does a great job. But him saying like, we know Kentucky can run on anybody. That that like set off such. They can't. A, yeah, they can't. Yeah, a, a trigger like for me because I was like, they cannot run on anybody. And you look at this, so. 145 total yards of offense, uh, 98 yards rushing, 47 yards passing. And granted, a lot of that is because, not a lot of it, but part of that's because they only had the ball for 17 minutes in the game. But I, if they would have had the ball more, I don't see anything changing. Like there was, there was nothing that they were able to do effectively the entire day. And, and granted, there was, there were also some missed calls in this one. I thought, I thought that was a fumble on the sideline uh, in like the third quarter, but. You put it best, and I'm, and I'm glad you said this. Like, the title he has in the Google Doc is Mizzou Lulls, Kentucky, and All of Us to Sleep. And that's exactly what happened. Like, it, it was kudos to Eli Drinkowitz. Absolutely. In a, I've said this repeatedly on this podcast today about coaches not being able to make adjustments. And good coaches and good teams make yep. adjustments in-game. You go into this game against LSU, and you throw the ball with a with – a, True freshman, never started before quarterback. Let him go retro 29 freshman. of 34. Retro, or sorry, retro freshman. 29 of 34 for 400-plus yards through the air. 
then you realize, you know what, maybe that's not the way we beat Kentucky. Yep. And you completely change the identity of your offense from game to game and run the ball down Kentucky's throat. I just And, and I'll tell you what, again, look at the balance. 201 yards passing, 220 yards rushing. But like, they ran the ball 62 times. I mean, there was it was definitely yeah. we're going to come out and we're, we're going to run the ball. But, like, I, I like that Eli Drinkowitz, from the limited, the, the limited that we've seen from him in the SEC yeah. and what we've seen from him at NC State and what he did at Appalachian State, I like that his – so many people throw this around, right? We want to be multiple. We want to do this. We want to do that. Yeah. So many people – when push comes to shove and they're against the wall, they're just going to do what they're comfortable with. And Eli Drinkowitz has looked at his team so far and he said, you know what? Yeah, I had this guy who I recruited back when I was at NC State, Connor Baselack, and he ran this wishbone offense when he was in high school. I had this guy, Sean Robinson, who wasn't necessarily somebody I recruited. Yeah, he was kind of assumed to be the guy, but I recognize early on, if I want to really do the things that I want to do in this offense, yep. I have a better chance of doing it with this guy. And that might vary week to week, and it's not necessarily going to make Mizzou this offensive juggernaut or anything like that, but they at least uh-huh. have this they at least have this flexibility that I think teams wish that they have. Kentucky wishes they had this flexibility to be able to adjust in game. If you if you if Kentucky isn't able to knock you out with that punch with what they want to do, they've got nothing. Right. They have no nothing response. Else. And Mizzou has nothing that else. at least. Yeah, I, I agree. I th- and I think that you, you got it. Like this, this new wave of offensive coaches has to scare like traditional SEC. Like like people like Bo Pelini, you're a dinosaur in in this new age of college football, in my opinion. And and, and I'm not saying that he's like can never be successful and all that kind of stuff or can't get things fixed like from where they were already in the season. But I'm saying from a standpoint of you look at this game, how many times yesterday did you, did you see Kentucky get a stop, thank God, on third down to where they should seemingly get off the field and Mizzou stays on the field on offense, goes for it on fourth and five, goes away from the run game even, hits somebody that's wide open. Yeah. Like this was a like completely um, non-traditional, like, unconventional way of running an offense and winning a football game. Grinding out I think a that, Yeah, it, but like in doing so – where it's not just like fourth and one, it's like fourth and five, and we're going for it. And I, I, I was very impressed with Eli Drinkwitz and uh, what I saw yesterday. Tip of the cap also to Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator who stayed yep. there, was part of the previous regi- regime, and he is, I think, had a relatively solid start to the year, all things considered. I thought Mizzou would win two games all year, and they are already there uh, again. That That is not an easy thing to do in this yeah. conference to start off two and two. Florida and Georgia next but super, super favorable end of the schedule for Mizzou. Maybe the most favorable four-game stretch to end the year of any SEC team where they're at South Carolina, they're at home against Arkansas, they're at Mississippi State, and then home against Vandy. There's a chance that this Mizzou team could be looking up at season's end like, holy crap, this Mizzou team got to 5-5? Five and five? What? Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put that past them. And that's going to be an interesting matchup all of a sudden against Florida, who you, you just yeah. don't know how Florida's going to come out of the gates. Kentucky's in some trouble that we know. Sunday apologies. Can I just, I, I mean, I've pretty much already given it to Eli Drinkowitz. Yeah. I picked against his team against Kentucky. I picked against his team against LSU. I picked against his team against Bama. I think I, I picked him to cover against Tennessee. But what Eli Drinkowitz has done, despite the fact that he had all these moving pieces in the offseason, 
We kind of made fun of the fact that this guy was hiding his quarterback situation and really don't know what we're going to get with him. It looks like Mizzou might have overpaid for him. I'm not saying that this is automatically going to be a home run hire. If you're a Mizzou fan, you're extremely encouraged. I think yeah. Adam Spencer right now, our buddy, who, you know, oh, man. has been he's been preaching the gospel of Mizzou for a long time, but he kind of feels like this is this is a in many ways kind of a, a peak Mizzou uh, way to to kind of have this like early sort of success, right? Where you know it's not necessarily doing with a bunch of four star guys or flashy yeah. guys, household names or anything like that. But all of a sudden, this Mizzou team is is in a different place than what many were predicting coming into the year. And Eli Drinkowitz, a Sunday apology from me is absolutely yeah. absolutely worthy. I've got one more, one more. T.J. Finley. T.J. Finley. I said that you were going to be in a just a brutal spot against the South Carolina defense with those elite cornerbacks, Israel Mukwamu back, who had a really nice interception on the only bad ball you threw all day. I thought that TJ Finley was going to be asked to do way too much. And instead he was put in favorable spots all night. And that kid took advantage. He was poised. He was ready to go. He was stepping into throws. He wasn't fading back and not trusting his offensive line. That was a kid who looked like he was ready for the moment and yeah. seized it. And I don't know what his future holds in 2020, but that is someone who, with a very limited sample size, made LSU fans feel a whole lot better about the situation moving forward with Miles Brennan. Um, okay, so Sunday apologies from Chris. I got, I got a couple as well. Uh, first one's a, a joint one. Ooh. And I want to apologize. To Talking Coco drugs? And, and Steve, no, what? And Steve Insminger. Um, I cannot believe I doubted you. I, we have been at the forefront of, of praising you in, in so many different times, so many different times um, on here. And, and, you know, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, thinking that you guys would somehow just lay an egg against a Will Muschamp. Like, that is, that was unbelievable and, and just uncalled for from, from my end. And, and I owe both of you an apology. Insminger and, and Coach O, the fact that I, I said you, you haven't, prepped any of your backup quarterbacks over the past couple of years was wrong about that it didn't matter you proved that on saturday with with tj finley quarterback fantastic play design and coach o again I, I really owe you an apology you know I, I thought you might be distracted some of these pictures coming out sexy time you look fantastic I, but i'll say this glowing 11 and 0 11 and 0 coming off a loss out of all the dumb stats I've looked up, why didn't I look up that one? Why did I? Why, why did we not look up that one? one? How did we not it's know so that? So stupid, so stupid, <sighs> and, and to think that you were going to lose at home at night to Will Muschamp—that I, I just I can't say sorry enough. Uh, second apology. This is like a half-ass apology, but Bama's defense maybe the front seven. I'm not going to say anything to Pete Golding. You're still on, on my crap list, but <laughs> the front seven for Bama—you played better. You, 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 at times, you did things. That were maddening. Uh, you couldn't go field on third down sometimes. You gave up inexplicable plays. It made no sense to me. But I tell you what, um, the fact that you were able to hold a team to 300 yards uh, when your offense was just going up and down the field on them, the fact that you were able to go into their house and, and, and limit the run game in a lot of ways, and, 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 you know, they were only 4 of 16 on third down. That's better. That's improvement. Do not embarrass me this weekend against Mississippi State. What? Christian Barmore, and this is going to be a big week for him as well in, in this category, I don't know what the record is for batted passes from a defensive tackle, but I feel yeah. like by season's end, he's going to unofficially have that. I didn't realize he was 60. He was he was 6'5". Also, I, just, I, I feel like, while we're on the topic, 
whoever's deciding the numbers for this defensive line, can we do better? Can we do? I'm not saying you all have to have a single digit number like those like like Miami teams that are like monsters on the D line because that looks really cool, but like 48. 58 on the D-line. Can we get better than that? This is in 1963. Can we get... Can, I don't need... You, are you taking pictures where you're doing this thing? You can't see it because we're on radio right now or on the podcast, but when you're like throwing your hands up and you have one knee jutted one way. And the, Anyway, I just... I don't I don't like that. My next apology, Connor, this is half half an apology to you almost. I'm going to apologize to the Big Ten. Whoa. I made fun of you for your prime numbers, for your 11 a.m. kickoffs. I mean, you made me a lot of money yesterday. I, I was fan... The Northwestern pick? Fan told you. you told you. I'm saying... I said that. I had that one picked. I made sure you were correct. That's all. Yeah, I talked. I, I echoed. I echoed it though. Yes. Um, also, real quick, UCF and and Tulane. They hit the over with four minutes to go in the third quarter. Easy money. Of seventy-two points. Um. Anyway, but I want to apologize to the Big Ten because I thought this was a a one-team league with Ohio State just boat racing people who did not cover the first half spread. They showed a lot more parity than than maybe even the SEC could, could claim right now. And I know we've had a few teams out, so it's 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 easy to make that knee-jerk reaction, recency bias, but in fact that Michigan, Michigan. Michigan's fun. 49 Michigan's points, fun. 49 to 28 on the road. Like, you, you gave me everything I would want from from a fun football game. It was not the low-scoring stuff. Rutgers put up 38 points. I don't know what's going on in Lance, East Lansing, but regardless, I want to apologize to the Big Ten because you guys, look, you guys look really good. And last but not least, this is a probably my most sincere apologies. Um, listen, uh, Tanner, Brennan, um, Hayden, Kaylee with an E-I-G-H and a cough instead of a Y. I want all of you to listen up. If you're in your mom and dad's minivan right now or Dodge Durango or whatever it would be, I want to apologize to you. And, um, you know, a lot of bad words are said on this podcast today. Uh, and, in, you know, let me, let me take this back. I want to apologize to, to the, the kids of all the parents that listen to this podcast that whose parents are not Auburn fans because I'm not going to apologize for that. But every other, every other fan base's kids... I'm sorry for the language you heard today. And just know that, like, if you, your parents are going to tell you, listen, eat your vegetables, which I can tell you right now is not that important. But if they're going to tell you, eat your vegetables and, and don't stay up late and, and, and get an education. And all those things are important because if you don't, you're going to end up a potty mouth, just a borderline overweight, Peloton riding podcast. Yeah. And it's just, it's not going to work out well for you. Okay. So stay in school. Don't use bad words. Go to church. Eat your vegetables. Drink milk, but not past the age of 17, because then it's weird. And and just grow up to be everything that that you've you've heard not here today from me, not from Connor. Connor's great. There you go. Want to guess some week six lines? <laughs> sure. Let's close Let's it out. Up. We got six breath. games to get to. Let's see if Marler can repeat his performance from last week. Yeah. Georgia, Kentucky. Georgia's going to be a Big, big favorite on the road, especially after how one-dimensional this Kentucky offense yeah. looked. This Georgia defense, oh man, I don't know if they're going to allow. I don't know if they're going to allow more than. Uh, well, they allow seven points against Kentucky this year after they shut them out last year. I don't know. I think that spread has to be three scores. I think it's more like really. Yes, I think it's more like eighteen points. So I was going to say fourteen and a half. I think it's got to be more than that. I, think it's I mean, you more. might be right. Yeah. yeah. LSU Auburn. It's the Tiger Bowl. Is that Auburn? It's the Chad Morris Bowl. It's the Bo Pelini Bowl. LSU, maybe a slight favorite, but depends. Actually, maybe it doesn't depend on the quarterback situation. Maybe we we, we should just assume that, that Vegas is going to account for TJ Finley in the same way that it would for Miles Brennan when this offense yeah. did not skip a beat. 
LSU teeny tiny favorite. Teeny tiny favorite. Because if you make Auburn yeah. the favorite in this, it's probably like, oh, well, Auburn could easily be one and four. I think LSU's one-point favorite. On the road at Auburn. On the road. Auburn will be a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And I tell you what, wait, right now, bold prediction. I mean, it's a Tiger Bowl. So which group of stripes makes the biggest impact? Like the, the purple and gold stripes? the blue and orange stripes or the zebra stripes. My guess is probably the zebra stripes. Those black and white stripes good are, guess. you know, that crew. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very hot in the streets right now. Yeah. Ole Miss, Vandy. Gosh, every game Vandy plays, it just feels like a dud. Yeah, Ole, Miss will, be bad. Ole Miss will be favored. Good for Ole Miss for finally getting, like, a really favorable matchup. But I, yeah. th- I think that given Vandy's issues with depth and all that, with limited scholarship players, got to make Vandy – Vandy, Vandy's going to be a home dog. Ole Miss will be favored by 12 and a half points. 17 and a half. That much. Wow. I honestly wanted to say 20. I only went to 17 because you said 12. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mississippi State on the road against Alabama. Mississippi State has had a week to be able to try and figure out what in the world it's going to do offensively. <laughs> I feel bad. That defense That defense could actually <laughs> maybe slow down Alabama for a little bit. I swear bit. to God, for if this bit. group knocks out one of our if they if they knock out Mac Jones like they knocked out two last year, I will go to Starkville. And and, and do what? I don't jam an oar up your that's from Tommy Boy, sorry, go ahead. Just hang out. Go to go to a local restaurant. <laughs> Alabama will be a twenty point favorite. At home, Jalen Waddle's out. They were just a twenty I I'm gonna say eighteen and a half, but it should be twenty. You're right. That's good. Mizzou, Florida. Game that Florida has sort of overlooked. Is this at Mizzou? No. I always say the road team first. Always. Just know that. Okay. Mizzou, Florida. This game, after Florida has had these COVID-related issues, we don't necessarily know all the details about who's who's in, who's out. Florida's still going to be favored. I don't think Florida can be favored by as much as I would have originally expected. I think Florida is only an 11-point favorite at home. Yeah, I was gonna say ten and a half. Yeah, Florida struggles against Mizzou. They do. They really do for whatever reason. Arkansas, A and M, a game that has quietly over the last few weeks all of a sudden looked better and better. Yeah, you could make the case that Arkansas A and M and not LSU Auburn is the real who is the second best team in the SEC West game. I, Oddly enough, that's too much. But uh, there's, there's a case to be made for it. Yeah, A and M's gonna be a home favorite. I think A&M, what we know about this team and how well it has played at home, after they beat Florida at home, Vegas is going to give them a little bit more of that benefit of the doubt. I think yeah. A&M is a 12-point home favorite. This is going to be beautiful from Vegas because because like they're so good at setting the lines to where you, where like the 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 general public is like, wait, Arkansas has been really good. And like Texas A&M, they, we, we, they always blow it, like, you know, that kind of stuff. They will set this line to the perfect amount, and I believe it's going to be between 9.5 and 10.5. And Arkansas, like, pe- people will back Arkansas immediately, which is what, like, you'll see this line move down and back up. Like, I, 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 my bold prediction for this is it moves down by a point and a half to two points at the start of the week. And then is bought back up to the same number or, or a half to a point more by kickoff. Okay. So I'm gonna say nine and a half to ten and a half. Good to have six games in the SEC yep. again. Having Thank four God. is just not enough. Not enough. We need more.
than that. Pack 12 coming back. We're gonna have a full Pack 12 preview of. Cares? No, no, we're not gonna be doing that. Um, don't know who we're gonna have on guests yet. Uh, who we're gonna have on for a guest just yet. I reached out to somebody who hasn't been on in a while and is long overdue, but we'll see if that materializes. But no shortage of things to talk about this week. Maybe we can do a little mid-season awards. Maybe do some of that, because five weeks in the books. Crazy, crazy thought. All right, Marlon, I'll let you go get your bets in. Uncle Chris, not that you need the money after the weekend that you had, but, you know, good for you. What do we need to Please. It might mean too much, guys. Fuck you, sir.